Recently, there have been a number of tragic events that have produced shock waves with the loss of many innocent lives. Most recently, the South Korean ferry boat with 33 dead and several hundred still missing. Last year, at this time, it was the explosion of a fertilizer plant in West Texas. Thirteen volunteer fighters who were killed heard the sirens go off, which meant stop what you're doing and immediately go to the fire. But the truth was, these men had never been trained to deal with this kind of fire. In 1995, Timothy McVeigh blew up the federal building in Oklahoma using 5,000 pounds of ammonium, ammonium, ammonium nitrate. The fertilizer plant in West had about 540,000 pounds of explosive ammonium nitrate stored in wooden bins. Those last 12 minutes of the firefighter's life should have been spent getting everyone, including themselves, at least a mile back. In fact, a Dallas firefighter with 31 years of experience almost saved them. Captain Kenny Harris Jr., who commuted from West, was barbecuing with friends that day. And after seeing the black smoke rising into the sky, Harris and a friend rushed to the fertilizer plant. Upon arrival, the well-trained professional immediately understood the situation was critical. He jumped out catch this. He jumped out and told his friend, his friend, to drive the pickup as far away as possible. There were others who had come filming with their smartphones and he warned them, get back as far as you can. And then he ran to warn the firefighters and Harris almost managed it. The volunteers listened, understood, and were pulling back when the plant blew up, they all died instantly, including Harris. The ones who listened were saved. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus died that you and I might live. We begin a new series today on this Resurrection Sunday entitled, The Life You've Always Wanted. Last week, we celebrated Palm Sunday, and, you know, that was wonderful. We came in, and the people shouted when Jesus came into town, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, which means to save. He had said previously that I've come to seek and to save those who are lost and in danger. Jesus shared his mission statement in different places. Here's one. John 10, 10, I have come that men might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So let's make it personal this morning and put your name in place of them. I'll put my name. Jesus is speaking to me. I've come that Henry might have life and that he might have it more abundantly. Let's say that together and put your name in there. Jesus is talking now. I have come that might have life. Let everybody say amen. amen. Lori Beth Jones, author and life coach 
for CEOs of major companies across America and around the world said this. She said, I do not believe that we can or should harness God in order to make more money. The profound truth which continues to elude so many of us is that when we allow God to harness us, we become fulfilled, and I added, and more productive. In addition, fulfillment is the ultimate success. Because he lives, we can have new life and new beginnings. You and I can experience resurrection power in our life. To do, to be, to create, and achieve. To do, to be, to create, and achieve. Can you say that with me? To do, to be, to create, and achieve. Can you say amen this morning? Yes. You're looking at me with some stunned looks on your face right now. Everybody wave your hand. And shout, Jesus is alive. And touch somebody next to you with that life that he's given you. So I want to share with you a few observations about the Easter text. And I'll read, and you listen, and you can read along with me. Would you stand in honor to the word of God? I'm reading from Luke 24. At the conclusion, I'll say the word of God for the people of God, and you respond, thanks be to God. Luke 24. But early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed down their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up. Everybody shout, Peter jumped up. Peter jumped up. And ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So here are a couple of observations. Number one, progress or breakthrough happens in our lives when we stay in motion. Everybody say motion. Motion. Versus slipping into depression and regret because things seem upside down. You got to keep moving, friends. You're in the NFL. If you watch some of the greatest football backs, who are great runners, and they run into a wall of defensive players, you'll notice that their feet always is moving. They may not be getting that much progress, but the feet are moving, and they, they keep that going, and then eventually 
there's a crack and they break through and they get to where they want to go. You got to keep in motion. And so it was. The text says very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They hit a wall because when they got there, he wasn't there. Number two, go as far as you can and wait for God to show up. Two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. He announced to them the resurrection of Jesus. He announced to them the resurrection of Jesus. So what? Jesus rose from the dead. Everybody shout, so what? He proclaimed that he is a resurrection and the life. He said, I've come that you might have life. So what? So let's suppose there was a man, Jesus of Nazareth, but he wasn't the son of God. He was just a popular, charismatic rabbi who did good things for the people. And he was unjustly murdered on a cross. So what? So what if you lived your life modeled after Jesus, who was a good man and who did good things? You would have adopted a life of unselfishness and sacrifice, enabling you to be a blessing to others. And because you love others with Jesus' authentic love, you develop a habit of being a giver instead of a taker, a lover instead of a hater. And if you did that, you would benefit greatly because you know what? You get what you give. <laughs> if you give authentic love, you get back authentic love. If you smile at somebody warmly and engagingly, guess what? You get back a warm and engaging smile. Turn to the person next to you and give them the best smile you can give. A life of generosity rewards the giver ten times more. That's the truth. In fact, it's a universal principle taught in every major religion. You get what you give. Jesus said that in Luke 6.38, didn't he? Give, and it shall be given back to you. Press down, shaken together, will it overflow into your lap? For with the measure you give, it will be given back to you. Let me give you a practical example of that. I speak to young couples and those who are in ministry all across the country, and I was just in Orlando recently, a couple of weeks ago, and I spoke to 75 young urban workers from across the country from different, uh, five different cities, that the DeVos Leadership Institutes bring together. And whenever I speak to them once a year, whenever I do, I always share with them this principle of giving. And then when I'm done, they always come up to me, sometimes immediately, sometimes months later. Pastor Henry, I am so glad you shared that with me, that principle of giving that has really transformed my marriage and my life. I'm so grateful. And I always respond, listen, somebody shared it with me, and I'm sharing it with you, and it has been a blessing to Kathy and me. So it's all yours. It's a decision-making principle. If you're married, or if you're thinking about get, getting married, pay attention to what I'm getting ready to tell you right now. 
It's a decision-making principle based on Genesis 2.24 that says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Everybody shout, one flesh. Now, I call it the green light principle. And this is a principle that works whether you're married or you have a business partnership or whatever. It's the green light principle. Always make sure you have two green lights before you make any major decision. Now, if it's green, you both have green, that's easy. You go for it. If one has green and one has red, that's easy too. You don't do it because there is no unity and there is no agreement. Can you say amen? amen. I'm about to step on some toes right now, but come with me. <laughs> but here's the challenge. When one is green and the other is amber, green means go, red means no, amber means wait, wait. Now, Here's the challenge. The challenge comes when one is green, the other is amber. Amber is not no, but it means wait. And here's the problem. The person who has the green tries to sell the amber into green. Now catch that. Amber is not no. Amber is just wait, yield, slow down, big fella. Slow down, sister. That's what it means. But when you try to sell the person who is amber into green, here's what happens. You cancel out God's protection in your life. Oh, my. Yes, yes. You see, God put that person in your life as a protection to help you arrive at the right decision. And when you violate that and go ahead and <laughs> you can wrap it with full of religious overtones or leadership overtones or whatever you want to do, but you're convincing them, you just took off your protection. Because God put that person in your life for a point. So, one of the leaders in my former church was an attorney with JAG, and he was making a comfortable living working for the Navy, but he had an opportunity to go into business with a college friend. And he asked me to pray with him about this decision. This is a big decision. He would be leaving a fairly secure job to join a startup company that had great opportunity and great risk. And he wanted to make sure that he was in touch with what God wanted for him and for his family. So he said, Pastor, can we talk about it? And so I said, yeah, well, meet me for breakfast. And so we're having breakfast, and after he explained all the details of the company and his proposed role and how he felt about his college buddy, etc., I asked him this question. I said, well, Mike, have you discussed this with your wife? And he said, yes, 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 he had, and she was suddenly behind his decision that he was about to make. And then I shared with him this story that I'm about to tell you right now. A friend of mine, Victor Anfuso, shared this with me, and he told me, I had an acquaintance who was an entrepreneur, and he built and marketed small strip malls in suburban uh, Texas communities. And because of this one flesh principle, he and his wife developed this green light, amber light 
uh, amber green, red, amber light principle because of the one flesh principle. And so what he would do is, after doing his due diligence on any proposed plan, he would share it with his wife. Well, his wife was not a business partner with him. She was a stay-at-home mom. But when he completed everything he needed to complete, then he would take the final offering of the deal to her and share it with her, and she would have to say, I agree with this, and she would give him a thumbs up. And so they devised this plan for everything. I, I mean, you know, major decisions like job changes, investments, buying a house, buying cars, major things, major things. And she said, and he said, that provided protection for me. The unity was really important since they were one flesh. So he presented the deal and she affirmed that it seemed good to her and she said, well, go ahead with it, honey. And he said, well, good, I'm glad you're supportive of it. And then, um, you know, she said, I, you talked to me about this before and I think this is great, so just go ahead. He said, well, great, but you didn't give me this. And she said, no, no, <laughs> you know, I trust you. I know that God leads you. And if you have decided that this is the right thing, you go ahead and do it. He said, oh, no, that's not our agreement. You got to give me this. So she said, well, I don't know. Could you just wait a week on this? And he said, honey, wait a week. The governor's getting ready to raise the prime rate. And if we wake a, make, wait a week, the margins for profit makes this deal not as attractive as it is now. We are ready to sign the papers. Here's their attorneys, our attorneys, and tomorrow we're supposed to sign. Do you know something that, that, that we don't know? And then he said he stopped and he realized, you know what? I'm trying to push her from weight into green. And actually, he had an attitude about it. But he remembered, you know, when I've honored that principle in my life, and when I've waited until both of us are on the same page and both of us have a green, God blesses me. And when I violate that and try to push her into green when she's saying, wait, it always ends up bad. So he said, even though I don't feel good and feel like she's raining on my parade, he said, well, okay, I'll wait. He called his attorneys and said, just hold off and wait. They said, well, why? He said, no, just hold off. That was Friday. Monday morning hit the paper's front page. The IRS had seized that potential business par uh, partner's properties for back tax issues. Nobody knew. The banks didn't know. The investor didn't know. The evaluators didn't know. But guess what? God knew. And God provided protection from, for that man. And he was saved out of a very nasty, complicated deal. So when I told my buddy Mike that story, he went home and this is what he said to his wife. He said, listen, and he told her the story. He said, I will absolutely, now hear this. This is what Mike said to his wife. I will absolutely not go forward without your approval. If you give me a red light, everything stops. If you say, Amber, and I got to wait, then we wait. <laughs> and she said, she jumped into his arms. She said, honey, I trust your instincts. But now I know you value my instincts 
because you've given me the right to say no to you and you will listen. She said, honey, I love you so much. Jumped into his arms and said, this deal is good. Let's go with it. And the two of them went forward in that deal and God blessed them. In fact, he blessed them so much that a few months later after starting the process and getting going, Mike came back to me and he said, Pastor Henry, what you shared with me has transformed my marriage. I am more in love and more happy now than I ever have been. You've been a blessing to me, so I want to give you some, uh, what did they give you? What was that, honey? Stock. He said, I want to give you some stock in this company. And he gave me, wrote out the stuff, you know, for stocks and whatnot, and the company exploded. In fact, it was so popular in Portland at that time, this is when the dot-com explosion in early 2000s, that, I mean, it was in the front page of Portland. It was the hottest new young company, and people were trying to get stock for it. And somebody called me up and said, oh, you want to sell a stock? And we had uh, uh, a certain amount of shares, and sold. I sold, we sold one-third of those shares for $40,000. And Kathy and I were able to pay off some bills and do some other things. Looking back on it now, I wish I had sold all of it. Because <laughs> the dot-com thing happened and the company leveled out. It didn't go out of business, but it leveled out, so it's not as profitable now as we thought it might be. But you say, well, Pastor, so what? A life of generosity is rewarded ten times over. So the God thing or the Jesus thing is not real. At the very least, you've lived a good life. You've been a giver instead of a taker, and you've been blessed. And what have you lost? Nothing. But suppose the resurrection is based on fact, that God did reveal himself in Jesus Christ that he was born a virgin, that he lived a sinless life and then was unfairly put on a Roman cross and suffered humiliation for you and for me, but you didn't take it seriously and or you blew it off and lived your life like you were the only one who mattered and you come to the judgment face to face with God who loved you and gave his only begotten son for you, but you turned your back on God and his gift God will turn his back on you. Somebody say, Lord have, mercy. Lord, have mercy. But you know what's even more tragic? Hmm. What's even more commonplace? You believe in God, but you're only half committed. You live your life in agreement with the principle he has issued through his words, but some of them. You agree that the Bible is the word of God, but you seldom read it. You never study it or memorize it, and you make all your major decisions based on what you think is right. He's Lord, but not Lord of your life. So what? So what? So that reminds me of a story of one of the richest men in India who would visit periodically and bless the peasants in his kingdom. So the word went out that he was coming. And all the people, especially the poorest of the poor, lined the streets in hopes that he would stop his entourage and give them a financial blessing. And sure enough, he stopped in front of Ranji, one of the poorest peasants in the village, and he got out of his carriage, and Ranji's heart started to pump. Could this really be happening to me? And he walked toward Ranji, and instead of giving Ranji anything, he asked 
him a question. He said, what do you have in that little pouch you're carrying? Reggie said, my all, all I have is a few grains of rice. He said, a few grains of rice. The king said, give it to me. Reggie was stunned. Give it to me. Hmm. Here I am, one of the poorest of the poor, and the richest of the rich, instead of giving me something, is asking me for the little bit, bit I have. So he reached through his pouch, and he pulled out a couple of grains of rice, and he gave it to the king. And the king took it, turned around, got into his carriage, and rode off. He was so disappointed. He had heard so much about this man's generosity and his wealth. And he came and took the little he had. And after a few seconds of trying to gather himself and trying to recover, he looked in his hand and he noticed in place of the two grains of rice were two shiny, big gold coins. And his scream could be heard all over the mountainside. If I had only known I would have given him everything I had. Hmm. Many of us who know God and have trusted Jesus as Lord, but we have lived half-hearted. We give 2%. If we're feeling good, we give 10%. Half-hearted commitment. Half-hearted love. Oh, the real tragedy is what could have been. Back to the upper room where the disciples were hiding in fear. The resurrection had already occurred, but not for them because they had retreated into fear and regret and everything stopped. They forgot Jesus' instructions. They forgot his promises. But thank God for the women. Somebody say amen. amen. They were the only ones moving ahead. It took great courage for these women to go up to visit the tomb. The Pharisees had put contracts out on all of the disciples and their followers. That's why they were locked up in the room filled with fear. I mean, he'd gone after Jesus. Maybe they're coming after us too. Everybody was afraid. But the text says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. You see, they had a plan. It was a limited plan, but they had a plan, and they implemented their plan. They pushed ahead in spite of their circumstances, in spite of their fear, and when they got there, they were surprised. The text says they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes, Listen, sometimes, friends, you get to a place when you don't know what you could do. You don't know what the next step is. And you're puzzled. And you scratch your head and say to yourself, well, Lord, what now? The old songwriter said he may not come when you want him to, but he's always right on time. Just when they didn't know what to do. When you've gone as far as you can go, you've done everything you can do, God steps in with some answers with some missing pieces. God steps in with some direction. Just when it seems you run out of hope, God shows up and turns tragedy into triumph. Can I get an amen? amen? Sometimes when God steps in, it frightens us. It seems too overwhelming. The text says the women bowed down. That's humility. 
That's what it takes to connect with God and to begin to experience the life you've always wanted. Humility. Hmm. You can't experience that until you bow down and admit you never were all that and a bag of chips. <laughs> he doesn't need you, but you need him. Amen. And the angel said to them, why do you look for living among the dead? That's a great question, isn't it? Why do we so often find ourselves in that predicament, looking for living principles among dead ideas, looking for financial guidance from those who are broke, poor, busted, and disgusted? He is not here. He is risen. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up. Everybody say, Peter jumped up. And he ran to the tomb. You know what I like about Peter? Yeah, Peter messed up, and, you know, he denied Jesus <coughs> three times. He did all that. But when others were afraid to press down on the throttle, when others were afraid to take a risk, Peter stepped in with courage. And he hears what the women said, and he seizes the moment. Did you hear that, friend? He seizes the moment and runs to the tomb. You can experience the life you've always dreamed about, but it's going to take courage. You were given uncommon, unique abilities. And when God finished creating you, he broke the mold. Soren Kierkegaard said this, Now with God's help, I shall become myself. This is your time for breakthrough. Right now. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what juncture you're at. I don't know what crisis you are facing. But something inside of you says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And God wants to have you experience breakthrough. For the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the life you've always wanted. But it begins with breakthrough. In 1947, Chuck Yeager was a test pilot. And what Yeager did in 47 was take a volatile experimental aircraft to a speed that many were convinced would kill him. Other pilots, when they came to that moment and the plane started shaking violently because they were going to be shaking, breaking the sound barrier. And the, shame, the plane would begin to shake. And when that happened, in fear, they would pull back. Yeager did. The plane started shaking. And instead of pulling back, he pressed the throttle down and broke through to smooth sailing as he broke the sound barrier. Jesus said, I have come that men might have life and have it more abundantly. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. It's breakthrough time, friends. Breakthrough time in your life. Bow your heads with me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In a moment, we're all going to stand, but if you're here this morning, if you've never taken that step of faith to actually begin a serious relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to take that first step. You may be religious, but religion alone can't help you walk in the destiny God has for you. You may even be a church member, a member of this church, but if you're not experiencing that breakthrough in your life, you can Breakthrough in your marriage. Breakthrough in your personal relationships, in your career. 
in your capacity to love, to listen, and to care, I invite you to come. I'm going to have this prayer, and we're all going to stand. And I'm going to ask you to take, take about a minute. I'm going to ask Ed and Judy Hess to come up here, and uh, some of the members of the our prayer team who are here to just come and stand in the front. And this is an opportunity for you to say yes to God. And so we're going to stand after I pray. And listen to the words to this prayer. And if it expresses the desire of your heart, I invite you to come and stand in front and say to God and to yourself, Yes, I want this breakthrough. I want my life to count. I want to experience your love. Father, thank you for the story of the resurrection. It's an amazing thing that you went to the cross and you died for us. But we receive the gift of salvation right now. Come into our hearts and transform us with your, by your spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand together. I can't think of a better way to close this service. We all stand. And uh, we'll just take 120 seconds. And I invite you to come. And I don't know where you are in your journey. But to say yes to God. You know you need God's help. It takes you minutes. Well, I, I don't want to come in front of all these people. Listen, Jesus... I don't know if you've seen the Passion of the Christ lately. You should. He hung there publicly in humiliation for you and for me. Publicly. This morning you're saying, Pastor Henry, I want to receive that Jesus in my life. And none of us are perfect. I mean, I got a long list of stuff that's just not what I want it to be. But God has forgiven me and he sees me as perfect through Jesus. If you want to experience that, five seconds, I invite you to come. Would you come? If you had one come, would you come? Just stand in the front. You can stand in front of any one of our prayer partners and know that God loves you. And the beginning of that life can be right now. Would you come? Father, we thank you for this privilege to hear about the possibilities that exist when we say yes to your will and yes to your way. By the power of your Holy Spirit, as we acknowledge you and invite you in, help us to not turn our hearts away from the truth that we've heard this morning, but to step into that truth with joy. And then, Lord, give us the blessing that we can receive when we're obedient to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did everybody say amen? amen. Can you say amen again? Amen. Okay, I'm going to ask, the, we're going to close with a couple of, of uh, choir songs here. And I'm going to ask the choir to come up, come up to the platform. And you guys can take your seats. Now, you're not going to be taking your seats for too long. And incidentally, if you like to sing gospel music, this is the beginning of our gospel choir. 
gospel choir.
voice, voice from heaven. Say it, who will go? Oh, who will go? Calling us to share the gospel. So the world will know. The world will know.
morning prayer. Father, we thank you. That's our charge. For your kingdom. Kingdom of love and freedom in Christ. Thank you we can walk in that on this Resurrection Sunday. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Christ is risen. Give at least four people a resurrection hug and you are dismissed. God bless you.